This is Resonance 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous. How you doing back after the summer break uh, on FM and of course on BohemianBritain.com. I'm Nick Hennigan and well, as if the Edinburgh Festival wasn't enough, the Fringe, where I took my show, The Birth of Frankenstein, uh, and it did rather well. Perhaps more about that later. And then there was the Edinburgh uh, International Book Festival, which I kind of missed most of on account of Frankenstein. You know, it's quite a lot to do. And now here I am in West London again. It's our annual visit. We've been here before to arguably the most writerly place in London. There are reasons for all this. In fact, you grab hold of someone. I shall, uh, I shall attempt to do so. But uh, right now, I think we're about to start the local uh, authors festival. And Torin Douglas, who is one of the organisers, is about to start, I think. Right, good evening everybody, and welcome. My name is Torin Douglas, I'm the director of the Chiswick Book Festival, and believe it or not, this is the 15th Chiswick Book Festival. <laughs> it would have been the 17th, but Ealing Council decided to run one two years uh, ahead of time, and so we were delayed by two years, but we don't hold that against them. In fact, there is going to be an Ealing Book Festival from next year, which we are nurturing and encouraging. Uh, and so, um, November, ah, exclusive here from Alex Gurlis, who is involved uh, in that. We have been nurturing Ealing because Ealing, we grew out of the Ealing um, Literary Festival. As I say, 15 years, I'm not going to mourn on because she's got a horn here, uh, and every time somebody gets up to two minutes, you hear it. <laughs> and I'm not going to get anywhere near that. So really all I want to do is say welcome. We could not do this without all our wonderful volunteers, without all our wonderful authors, uh, and also uh, the George IV, and all of our wonderful supporters. Huge um, round of applause, please, for James Barber at Waterstones, without whom we <laughs> Ever since we started, we have encouraged local authors. I didn't want this just to be a book festival that happened to be in Chiswick. I wanted it to be rooted in Chiswick and to celebrate Chiswick authors and that's why all of these wonderful authors we have here today are part of that. Uh, we have a timeline, a Chiswick timeline of writers and books which sets out to list everybody who's ever lived in Chiswick and written a book. Uh, a few years ago we hit 250. The Observer said Chiswick may be the UK's most literary location. I thought my work was done. We now have 450. 450! And I'm afraid it's a bit of a hurdle. You've got to live in Chiswick W4. You may have to move, um, but then you can be on it. Um, and uh, we would welcome you, so do tell us that. We have republished our wonderful Chiswick, I say wonderful, we have published The Writer's Trail. It used to have 21 great writers, now it has 36. Uh, we've added a, a, added a few. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but they're all here. There's a wonderful map. There are lots to, uh, lot, lots to pick up. Uh, that is a really hard bar to get through because you have to be dead to be on it. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't aspire to it. Um, but anyway, pick one of these up. I hope you can have a fabulous time over the next few days. One of the reasons you will have a fabulous time is we've got an amazing programme director, Joe James, who makes make sure that we get like, yeah. Without her, 
not be getting Mari and all these other wonderful names. We get a few because I know a few and half of the BBC is speaking today. So I may have pulled a few strings there. But apart from that, all I would say is the 20 authors here, all human life is here. 21, thank you. We aspire to 20 and then they get greedy and we can't turn people down, but they are all absolutely wonderful. Alex Gullis has flown in from Barcelona for the occasion, so that tells you how things uh, But um, we have various distinguished people. I will leave it up to them to say how distinguished they are, but um, that, that's up to you. Have a fabulous evening because Jo is now in charge uh, and she doesn't, she doesn't take any prisoners, basically. So. <laughs> Please, a huge round of applause, please, for Joe James. I'd say the house lights have gone down, we're getting serious. Um, good evening, everybody. Good evening. So, without further ado, we're going to kick off. Um, and I'm going to welcome to the stage uh, our very first author of the evening, talking about the latest in her Callie and Jimmy series of children's book, please welcome festival favourite Zoe Antoniadis. In case you don't already know, I'm Callie, short for Callista, and I live with my twin Jimmy, also known as Dimitri, also known as most annoying brother in the whole wide world. We live with our mum, who is Greek, but was also born here in West London, and our yaya, who is totally Greek, from Cyprus. Dad's not Greek, he's from Clapham. He, which is another bit of London, but it feels like miles away because of all the traffic. And he doesn't live with us, but we get to stay with him every other weekend, and sometimes when it's the holidays. He and mum did something called growing apart amicably, where me and Jimmy were little, as it was for the best. Yeah, yeah, we call her that because it's the Greek word for grandma. Looks after us a lot because mum's always busy working or being tired from always being busy working. But I think Yaya's getting a bit tired too now because she keeps getting muddled up. Sometimes she puts things away in the wrong places. I remember her looking for ages for her autograph book when the famous athlete Yukarubo came to our school for sports day. It turned out to be in the biscuit tin. Jimmy found that hilarious and collapsed to the kitchen floor clutching his belly. Yaya laughed it off too. But I didn't think it was funny because I'd noticed the look on mum's face. She wasn't angry or rolling her eyes or anything like that. She just looked sort of sad. So I'm not actually Callie, I'm Zoe Antoniades, author of Callie and Jimmy, a series of children's books illustrated by the amazing Katie Keir and published by Anderson Press. And I've just been reading to you from the first draft of book four, which I've literally just finished. Hope you enjoyed the sneak preview. Rachel Schofield talking about her book, The Career Change Guide, 
five steps to finding your dream job. We could all do that. Find a job you'll love and you will never work a day in your life. If you can dream it, you can do it. Just follow your passion. What a load of old guff the fridge magnet mentality is around career change. Actually, people are saying, I'd like to change career, but I think I've left it too late. I'm way too old. I'm way too young. I've never been in any other industry. I can't take a pay cut. I can't start from scratch. Who would take me seriously? My confidence is shot. I know that career change isn't a saccharine Instagram post. It's challenging, it's exciting, but it's scary because I've done it. My name is Rachel Schofield and I am a qualified career change and personal development coach, but I spent 20 years as a BBC reporter and presenter before making my own career change and supporting people, whether they were 25 or 65, every day to figure out what they want to do when they grow up. And that is why Penguin approached me to write the career change guide, Five Steps to Finding Your Dream job because it's not a question of following some trite statement from a fridge magnet. It needs a structured process and that is what you get through this book. It will lead you from that point of I want to do something else but I'm confused and overwhelmed to getting clear and confident about what that next chapter looks like. It's packed with exercises to help you figure out the puzzle pieces, your strengths, your interests, your values, your ideal work environment how you want to configure them. It helps you adopt a career changer's mindset of courage and commitment and crucially curiosity. It helps you if you have no ideas but know you want to do something different or you've got a thousand ideas but you can't work out which one has legs and which one is viable. It has case studies, it has templates, it has all that you need to take you on that journey. And I'm delighted to say that The Telegraph selected it as one of their best self-help books for 2023. So if you are someone who's thinking about what next, or you have an annoying person in your life who needs this, I'd love you to take a look. talking about her children's book, Rory's Missing Tooth. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. My name is Karina, as you would have heard. I'm a children's picture book author. Um, and I'm very new to the scene. Started writing earlier this year um, when I decided it's high time to bring out all my imaginary friends. Um, so here I am today, I've written about 12 stories altogether, um, self-published my first picture book and waiting for the proof of my second one to arrive, literally, now, tomorrow. Um, so today I bring um, to you my first book baby, it's called Rory's Missing Tooth. It's a lovely book about uh, a little dinosaur who loses his first milk tooth. Um, and he freaks out because he thinks his smile is his superpower. So um, when he loses his first tooth, he um, comes up with all sorts of um, funny and giggly ways of um, fixing it. Um, so it's beautifully illustrated. I only do the words, I don't do the pictures, but um, missing tooth. Uh, <laughs> um, 
it's a story about uh, the power of kindness, confidence, and of course, growing up. Um, funny, engaging, make, made kids laugh all throughout Chizik. Um, did a bunch of uh, readings um, around, and they all loved it. So check it out. Um, feel free to flick through it. Um, maybe you have a small person in your life that would like it. Um, it's also available here and our local bookshop um, here in Chiswick and uh, Bookcase, online, on Amazon, Waterstones and all the other book retailers. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. So next up, talking about his new history, um, please welcome Stein Ringen with the story of Scandinavia from Vikings to the welfare state. Who knew? The Scandinavians are at the top of the list in international comparisons of contentment. But you don't need to know much about their history to see that this happy outcome is an unlikely miracle. Brand Scandinavia is brand new of the late 20th century. So there is a story there that has seemed to me worth telling. It's a story of the Danes, the Norwegians, and the Swedes over 1,200 years. It starts like this. Gudfred died in the year 810. He was murdered. <laughs> Gudfred in Denmark was the first proper Scandinavian king, and he ended with his head cut off. <laughs> From there, the Viking Age, 300 years of plunder and mayhem. Once kings had foothold, they went mad with warfare. During 250 years, 18 Scandinavian wars, nine wars against Russia, and at least 15 other European wars. I explored how people lived, for the most part badly. <laughs> and how kings ruled also badly, possibly with the exception of two queens, Margrethe of Denmark and Christina of Sweden, who were great personalities of intrigue and intelligence. In the 20th century, everything changed. In spite of two world wars, economic crash, violent class conflict, fascism and communism, the big story is progress like never before. How was that combination of destruction and progress possible? Ladies and gentlemen, read the book. And <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, next up. Uh, would you all please give a very big warm welcome to Brian Cluley Johnson talking about his new novel, Everything Goes. Um, this is not about children, it's about okay, it's something different. It took me three years to write. It's a, a 300-page uh, novel. Uh, it's uh, what they call nowadays non-fiction novel. But I'd like you to read it, I hope, because when I was thinking about it, I'm not, I can't possibly cover the amount of time in two minutes of a 300-page novel. But I will tell you a little bit about why I wrote it and what you might expect should you buy it, when you buy it. Uh, why I wrote it was I was 
1976, I want you to picture this, in a hotel room in middle of Manhattan. And a guy sits reading some book about New York. And in it, he comes across a page that has Hick Street in it. And he thinks, Hick Street, I know that name. And he remembers, it was the name, it was the name of the, uh, of the hotel, I'm sorry, of the address in the, uh, that is father sent him when he parents divorced him and lived in America. Hick Street. So he thinks it's a quite afternoon, he's got no plans. So maybe he'll take a ride over to Hick Street. And that's what he does. And when he gets there, he's, imagine he looks across, and he's standing in front, over, looking at a building, which is a small apartment building. And what if he crosses the road and enters that building? What if he enters the lobby and sees to his astonishment the name of his father's second wife that's there? And then he does find that very strange. So he rings the bell, and a voice upstairs says, who is it? And he's caught up for words. So he says, uh, I knew your husband. She says, come up, come up. And when she goes upstairs, she looks at him, she just says, Stanley. But what if Stanley isn't his name? It's the name of his father. So he thinks about that for a moment. And that's really just the first two pages of my book. So he might be, what the hell is he going to write for the next 299? <laughs> I thought that too. Uh, but what I do is imagine a rich life for my father as he spied on the Japanese, as he became through and next up um, talking about her new crime novel murder by natural causes we have Helen Erickson I started writing murder by natural causes during the second lockdown when life was uh, quiet and there wasn't much to do my kids were old enough to look after themselves and I had the mental space to organise my thoughts and write them down. And I've been thinking about this novel for years, mostly at night when I couldn't sleep. I wanted to create a female protagonist that breaks the mould. Not your usual gorgeous femme fatale who can floor a man with one stilettoed kung fu kick. I wanted somebody who made their own terms, who used subterfuge, who used stealth, who used invisibility, because I think that's more realistic. And so the character of Scylla was born. She's not strong, she's not beautiful, she's just really smart. Now, Scylla is a professional contract killer, and she works for a gangster in central London who runs a high-stakes gambling club. She just gets rid of anyone who really pisses him off. But when Scylla kills somebody, she does so carefully. After Scylla's finished, there isn't a, a, a murder investigation because there isn't really a murder. There's a suicide or there's an accident or there's a natural death by natural causes. So, hence the name. Um, but Scylla's had enough. She doesn't want to be an assassin anymore. It's a bit of a dead-end job. <laughs> she wants to reinvent herself. She wants to lead a normal life, whatever that means. She'd just really like to stop poisoning people once and for all. Now, that's easier said than done because Scylla is immersed in a life of organised crime as she has been all her life, and the gangster who owns her would rather kill her than let her go. 
Now, I wrote Murder by Natural Causes actually as satire, but I'm afraid satire is a bit of a lost genre, so it gets interpreted as crime fiction, which is fine by me. If you like dark humour, if you like violence, if you like um, a fresh take... sound of Scylla the Killer. <laughs> and she needs to attend Rachel's workshop on changing careers. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Proud of myself with that one. Right, um, so ahead, ahead of her wonderful sounding event at Hen Corner on Sunday night, please welcome to the stage, talking about her book, Living the Good Life in the City, is Sarah Ward. just down the road from our Victorian terraced house which we've transformed transformed into an urban small holding hen corner from snowy and the other 21 hens our four colonies of honeybees the veg beds and the numerous fruit and nut trees we harvested over three thousand pounds worth of food from our back garden last year this book tells our story along with tips and tricks and recipes. So far, I've won six Great Taste Awards. The recipes are in there. And the story follows a natural progression of getting involved with, where, with your food and where it comes from. Divided into five sections, the book encourages us to make your own food from scratch, be that bread, pasta, cheese, sausages or marmalade, yes I said make your own cheese, to grow your own ingredients from a balcony, from a garden, from an allotment or try your hand to a bit of free foraging, to preserve your harvest, be that homegrown or bargains from the supermarket. We explained loads of different preserving techniques and with that under your belt you might want to keep some animals for food, be that chickens, bees or larger livestock. Finally, we encourage you to celebrate throughout the year. It's good to give thanks for every blessing. Hopefully, we all want to live more sustainably. Living the good life in the city will encourage you all the way. So buy the book, come and meet Snowy, and join us at Hen Corner for our event on Sunday evening. All together now. da 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 She's in her malt at the moment, so, it, so she's, uh, the hen is not terrified, she's not shocked into shedding feathers, she's just shedding feathers, because it's that time of year, and look, look at that. <laughs> anyway, Sarah's got an event on Sunday night at, uh, at Hen Corner, 
She's prepared loads of food, there's drink, there's homemade cheeses that she's done especially. If you haven't already booked a ticket, you should do it now because it sounds absolutely marvellous and I wish I could go. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so um, next up we have someone with some hopefully uh, very useful advice talking about his creative writing guide, Books to be Written. Please welcome Alan Kelly. and five self-published initially e-books and then later as books. As a result, as a result, people keep coming to me and saying, how do you write a book? And I get fed up giving this advice again and again and again, so I wrote a book. <laughs> books to be written is my guide to writing, producing, publishing, marketing, and marketing is the big one, your own books. Whether you publish with a publisher or whether you self-publish. Um, I work in the technology and business space, I'm, I'm a consultant, I'm for hire, um, and <laughs> my books support my business. So yeah, I make some money out of my books, but more importantly, they support my business. And because I still own the copyright to all these books, there's all sorts of inventive ways that I can use them, I can give them to clients and things. That's really useful. When you own the copyright, there's other things that can happen, like this book wasn't finished. When I write books, they are selling from chapter one or chapter two, and people are buying them, and they get free updates. Because it's e-books. The world of digital changes everything. So people are buying my books, and I've got to start my time. I've been really clever, I forgot. Um, <laughs> people are buying my e-books, and they are, uh, and I'm enhancing them, and they're getting updates. And a publisher came to me and says, hey, we like this book, can we publish it? So I signed a contract, got a $2,000 advance, and then finished the book. When you own the copyright, all sorts of wonderful things happen. And now the world is digital. How you write books, how you consume books, how you produce books, how you market books has all changed. And actually, I think I do a better job than most of the publishers I've worked with. Have my time. Six seconds. Six seconds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And at that point, I think we'll take a break too. I'll see you next time. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is on BohemianBritain.com. Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM.